Good morning. It's good to be together. Can we get the lights turned up a bit? That'd be great. Um, so we uh, started a new series last week, if you weren't with us. Um, it's called Transformed, Not Conformed. And normally, um, as a church on Sundays, we pick a book of the Bible and, and go through it, chapter by chapter, usually verse by verse. Um, we think that's a great way uh, to, to, to preach. Um, you don't, sometimes though in a book, you don't hit some things that you really wish you would hit. Like if you went through the whole of scripture, you, you'd hit it all, everything. Um, but every once in a while, we'll do a topical series. So we're, we're doing a topical series uh, this time. Again, it's called Transformed, Not Conformed. This comes from uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices this is your spiritual act of worship, holy and pleasing to him. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you've been in church for a while, those verses might be uh, very familiar to you. So Paul's telling us that the, the world is doing everything it can to pull us from Christ. It's trying to conform us. It's trying to fit us into its mold through uh, its values, its, uh, the world's philosophies, beliefs, the, the, the latest teachings, the fads. Everything is trying to conform us to the world. Uh, and Paul's saying we need to be transformed. We need to be transformed. He says that that happens by the renewing of your mind. That the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, as we take in God's truth, the Spirit illuminates the Word. And, and rather than being, uh, rather than thinking like the world, rather than feeling like the world, rather than valuing what the world values, we, we, we think like Christ. We value what Christ values. We, we long for what God says is good. So um, I, I think of it this way. I don't know if you like smoothies. I'm not a huge smoothie fan. Um, I know some people are wild about smoothies. Um, but a few years ago, my family, um, they bought uh, the, that awesome blender at Costco. Suddenly, I can't think of the name, but there's this great, like, super blender on steroids at Costco. Um, and you can do a ton of different things with it, I'm sure. Um, what's that? Vitamix, that is it. Yes, that's great. I was thinking something about a ninja. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. That's funny. Obviously, I use it a lot. Um, anyway, so uh, we bought this thing. You could do a lot in it, I'm sure. We like to make smoothies in it. We, we kind of go in these spurts of, of making smoothies. So, um, and when I think of smoothies, I think a smoothie is supposed to be good for you, right? Like what you're putting in there should be good stuff. So uh, I think you put in, I don't make it much, actually my wife does, but let's pretend that I do. So. Uh, uh, I put, I've done it before. You put in some ice, right? You, you put in fruits that you like. So I, I love smoothies with peaches in them, bananas. We've got raspberries in our yard right now. So I throw raspberries in there. We've got some blueberries. Throw in whatever you want, though. Lots and lots of fruit. And then if you're really good, if you're going for it, you're going to throw some greens in there, right? So you, you throw in some spinach. Not too much, obviously. But you throw in some spinach. Uh, kale's been a big deal for a while now, so maybe some kale. Um, you throw in wheatgrass, because someone on Instagram, you saw they did it, so you, you try that out. Um, and you, you blend it all up, you pour it into your cup, you take a sip, and if you're like me, oh, it's not sweet enough. Like I have not just one sweet tooth, I swear every tooth is sweet, and I have the, the feelings to prove it. Um, so, 
So you, you, you want to sweeten it up a bit, right? So maybe, and I've done this before, maybe just straight up, you sprinkle sugar on there, right? And then mix it up. Or, um, or you, could, you could use like, uh, like those yogurts that aren't so good for you, right? Instead of Greek yogurt, you put in some flavored yogurt that's really just sugary yogurt. Um, or uh, canned peaches. I was devastated when I found out those aren't good for me. So uh, that juice is not natural, and for years I thought it was. Um, so you, you pour in some of that, and you get a little bit of that juice in there, it's good. Or if you're really feeling it, you add a scoop. Yeah, I heard somebody say that. You add a scoop of, like, vanilla bean uh, ice cream, right, from Umqua or Tillamook or something like that, and then you blend that thing up. And man, how does it taste now, right? That kale, you have no idea kale's in there. Um, so this is kind of like what Paul is, is saying to us, right? It's easy for us to start adding ingredients to our Christianity. It's easy for us to unknowingly conform to how the world thinks, to how the world lives, to what the world values and believes. And, and we mix that in with our Christianity. So instead of a scoop of ice cream, we add a scoop of, uh, if I'm good, God will bless me. Or uh, we add a couple of scoops of, um, if, I, if I'm generous with my money, right? If I regularly tithe, if I give money to, to Young Life and to track and to missionaries, then God's going to give me even more back. Or we add uh, maybe just a sprinkle of, uh, I have I have this desire in my heart, and I always have. It's how God made me. It's, it's just natural within me. So I'm going to pursue that, even though I don't really want other Christians to know. Like, we add these things to our biblical worldview. And what God did was he, he opens our hearts and our minds to the gospel. We come to believe the gospel, to trust in Jesus, but we start adding. We start adding to what the word says. We start adding to the gospel. We take this biblical worldview and, and, and we, we sneak some ingredients from the culture and add that in. And gradually, we conform. The less we're in God's word, the more we will conform to the thinking of this world, which distracts us from God. The, the less we're in God's word, the more that will happen. It's, it's guaranteed that this will happen. This is the pull of the world. So, so we start adding to the, the grand story of Scripture. We blend up all these ingredients so that you can no longer discern what's, what's biblical ingredients and what are ingredients from the world. And another, another danger, another way to do it would be instead of um, a biblical worldview, you, you start off with your, uh, your secular worldview, your pre-Christ worldview. Maybe you see uh, you see something about Jesus, you hear something about Jesus, and you're like, oh, I want some of that, right? Or you, you see Christians that you know, and you're like, man, they have peace, they have joy, they have hope, I want that. So you, you take your, your secular worldview, and, and then you add just a little bit uh, of Christian thought, of Christian belief, uh, little bits of what Scripture says. So you have this, this thin layer of gospel in there, this veneer to a non-biblical worldview. It's like It'd be like taking a milkshake, like, I don't do this much, but Burgerville has the best milkshakes, right? They're so tasty. So you go down to Burgerville, right, and you get whatever their seasonal milkshake is right now. Uh, it, it, you, you order it, you get it in the car, you're driving home, you take a sip, 
and you're like instantly convicted, like, man, this is not good for me. So you go home and get your Vitamix, right? You pour your milkshake in there, and you, you, you yeah, this is wrong. Some of you are shaking your head already. You grab, you grab some kale, right? You chuck it in, you blend it. This obviously isn't going to go well. Um, man, it doesn't make it better, right? It, in fact, it's actually worse now. Um, Paul tells us that we have to fight being conformed to the world, and instead we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We do this, the Holy Spirit does this in us as we get into God's Word. The Spirit illuminates God's Word for us. He guides us in truth. He changes our heart. He changes our mind, how we think. So this is a continuous and a consistent Thing. This is not a one-time event, but this transformation is ongoing. It's over and over again. Over and over again, we need God's Word in us. And I know that getting in the Bible is so often a struggle. I know that spending time with the Lord can so often be really, really hard. And I think... Um, one reason, and there are several, but one that I was thinking about this week, I think one reason is that we have maybe an ideal of how it should be. And, and if we can't hit that ideal, whether it's time or absolute silence or what, whatever it is, if we can't hit that ideal, we just throw it all out. It's like people uh, working out, right? The, you have maybe this ideal length of time to work out. You want to be in the gym for 45 minutes or an hour, hour and a half, whatever your thing is. And if you don't have time for that, then you just won't go at all. When in reality, even 20 minutes would be better for you. Right? It, it would be better for you. It would be really good for you. You can, get, you can get some good cardio going. You could lift some weights. You get your heart pumping. Um, we need to get in the Word, even if it's not this ideal amount of time or whatever is ideal in your brain. And I think particularly of parents with young kids, it's so hard. It is so hard when you got little kids, as cute as they are, running all over the place, making sounds. Man, sometimes I look at my wife and I just say, we produce the loudest offspring <laughs> ever. It, it is hard. It is really hard. And actually, I'm finding as my kids get older, now they're up later, and I have less time than I used to have. Like, in some ways, I love having kids. In some ways, <laughs> it hasn't gotten better in that regard. Um, so, so stealing away time, it can be hard to carve out that time to be with Jesus, but we need it. Even if it's not what you used to get to do back when you first met Christ or whenever, we need to get in the Word. Or maybe, maybe you hear me say that we daily need it, and you're like, oh, I just, in my schedule, I can't do it. Man, then make three days a week or four days a week your goal. Don't just throw all of it out, because we need to be in God's Word consistently. We need that so that the Holy Spirit can, can renew our minds. He can transform us. So each week, we're, we're going to be uh, looking at something in culture and, and the way that our, our world wants to conform us and then how uh, Scripture wants to transform us um, through the renewing of our minds. So uh, we live in a pluralistic culture. We live in a culture that, that um, it, people believe if there is a God, there are many ways to God. Or you might hear uh, a belief like, hey, what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. Or, um, 
Or someone might say, as long as you're sincere in your belief system, as long as you fully believe, you really mean it, then you will be fine no matter what you believe. Or we hear people say something along the lines of, all religions basically teach the same thing. And this, uh, this can creep in to our mind. This can creep into our beliefs and impact us. And, and my guess is, on one level, w- without even thinking about it, everyone in this room that claims to know and follow Jesus, you would say that he's the exclusive way to God, that Jesus is absolutely necessary, that there's no way to be saved from our sin without Christ. There's no way to know God, to be reconciled with the Creator without Christ. But the question is, do you live that way? Because we live out of our beliefs. So so what we think and really believe, not necessarily what we say, but what we believe will live out those beliefs in our daily life. So how do we know if the belief that Christ is absolutely necessary has has impacted our living? What would you expect to see in someone's life that believes that, that Jesus is it, that Jesus is indispensable? If Jesus is God, if Jesus alone can save us from sin, if this world stands condemned without trusting in Christ, shouldn't this change us? How has it changed you? This is a renewing of the mind issue. The world claims you don't need Jesus. The world claims there are other routes. If you're a good person, or a universalist would say even that, that after you die, you will have a chance to repent, that Jesus will give you another chance, that love will win out. But the problem is Jesus never talks that way. The apostles never wrote that way. The apostles spent their three years with Jesus, and then Jesus dies. He's resurrected. He reveals him to them, them, and then he teaches them through Scripture. They had like this crash course, this boot camp of seminary, and they never wrote that way, that, that, that there are all these ways to be made right with God. There's no biblical evidence that God will do that, none. So we're going to be in John 5 today. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? John 5, and here's uh, the background, what happened in the first part uh, of John 5. There's a man uh, laying at a pool. There was a belief that, that this pool, if people could get to the pool at the right time, that they'd be healed of whatever. So there's all, all these lame people, invalids, blind, all these people um, that needed healing, that wanted healing, laying at this pool. Jesus meets this man who'd been in his condition for 38 years, and he asked the man, do you want to be healed? And, and of course, he wants to be healed, but he, he doesn't have a way to get to the pool. And Jesus, Jesus says to him, get up, take, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man's healed. He takes up his mat and he walks. And Jesus disappears into the crowd. The Pharisees come after this guy. What are you doing? Why are you doing work on the Sabbath carrying your mat? Who, who told you to do this? And he's like, I don't even know. The guy disappeared. He told me to take up my mat and walk, and, and then he was gone. Well, Jesus circles back around comes and talks to him. He says, uh, see, you are well. Sin no more. Right? This, this physical healing, Jesus did this to point to his spiritual need, that, that he needed to be forgiven of his sin ultimately. So the man then talks with the, the, the Jewish leaders, and they confront Jesus. They said, why are you doing this? Why are you working on the Sabbath? And Jesus says this in verse 17, and this is not on the screen. Um, Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. 
Now, to you and me, that probably doesn't sound like that huge of a deal. On verse 16, it says the Jews had been persecuting Jesus up to this point. They, they did not like Jesus. They did not like the influence that Jesus had. They didn't like the following that he had. Uh, they, they were upset that Jesus was, was uh, stealing a piece of the religious pie from them. Uh, verse 18, this is what it says, and this should be on the screen. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And then this probably seems like a leap to us. It says, making himself equal with God. Right? That by calling God his own father, he's making himself equal equal with God. And, and as 21st century readers, we read that, and we might not come to the same conclusion, but we weren't there. We didn't, we didn't hear Jesus say it. We didn't see his face. We missed, obviously, this is a, a, a retelling of what happened. We didn't hear every word. This is how they took it. They took it that he was claiming to be equal with God. So Jesus here, um, we can test this by, by seeing how Jesus responds, because Jesus could have said, whoa, 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 guys, hold on a second, I think we have a misunderstanding. I'm not claiming that. I just meant God is my father, just like he's your father. He could have, he could have put this to rest, but he didn't do that. Instead, he ups the ante in verses 19 and following. Let's, let's read this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So Jesus says that, that the Son's not doing anything on his own, that the Son does only what he sees the Father uh, doing. He, he, he doesn't do anything on his own accord. He's in perfect sync with the Father. There's this unison with the Father, a oneness. So they, they took what Jesus said as Jesus was making himself an equal to God, as if maybe he's a rival God. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. No, there's a oneness between me and the Father. I, I am God. We do everything alike. I, I do what I see the Father doing. Now, each of my kids, they do some things that are like me. They do some things that are like my wife. None of them do everything like one of us, right? You, you, could, uh, you could have a, a, a perfect clone of yourself, right? Exact uh, genetic duplicate. They might look exactly like you, but they will not do everything that you do. Jesus is saying that, that what him and the Father have is totally unique because they are one. They're not just equals. They're, they're not just linked. They are one. So why does this matter? Well, this matters for a ton of reasons, but one reason this matters is if that he's one with the Father, if he's God, everything he says matters. If Jesus is really God, we should want to know everything that he said, inside and out, because it, it matters if he is God. So if he says he's the exclusive way to be reconciled with God, which we'll see in here, 
He's, he's the one that is with God, then that matters. We need to know what he says. Right? John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If that's true, man, we need to know that because he's the only way to God then. So this makes Jesus indispensable, and by that I mean absolutely necessary. And again, if you're a Christian, you've been walking with Jesus for, for a, even a little while, you know this is true. But the conforming pull of the world tries to dilute this truth in our minds. And if we let it, instead of letting God transform our minds to this truth, to this reality, then we'll live as if Jesus isn't absolutely necessary for every human being ever. So it could play out like this. You have a neighbor, and and this neighbor doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you've told them about Jesus, and, and they're just not having it. But man, you look at them, I'm just going to make up a name. This isn't my neighbor's real name. And you're like, man, Jim is such a nice guy. He's so good. He, he's so good with his kids. I watch how patient he is with them. He helps that, that uh, the older lady up the street shovel her snow every winter. Like, he is such a good guy. I know he hasn't accepted Jesus, but I wonder, would, would God just forgive him? Or, or let's take this even even further, a question that I'm sure you've heard when we think about unreached peoples, people that, that have never heard about Jesus, we, we, we ask the question, what about, people ask this question all the time, what about, what if, what if, there, if there's a, a righteous person in, in, in the Amazon that's never heard about Jesus, will God forgive him? If there's a righteous person, will God forgive them even though they've never heard about Jesus? And the answer is yes. If there's a righteous person, that's never heard they'll be forgiven. But the problem is, no one's righteous. No one. Jesus is the only one who's righteous. There's no way to the Father but through the Son. So there's much on the line here. Let's jump in verse, uh, verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Son has that, that power. Verse 22. The Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. And this can be confusing here. The Father judges no one, but gives all judgment to the Son. Let's think back to what verse 19 said. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. So Jesus isn't doing anything on his own. He's not doing anything independently. So what does he mean here? I heard someone put it like this. Jesus is the front man or or the, the front line of of judgment. So we go on in the next verse here, um, verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you want to be good with God, you have to be good with Jesus, right? We see this even in our own lives, even in, in families, right? Even the most dysfunctional family, they can fight, they can be terrible to one another, but if an outsider does something to one member of the family, guess what? You're dealing with the whole family, right? And that's scary, dealing with a dysfunctional group of people that are mad at you, okay? If you want to be good with, with the family, you got to be good with that one family member. Jesus is telling us, you, you might believe in the Father, but the test of, of if you really know God, if you really worship God, is are you good with Jesus the Son, What you believe about Jesus is more important than anything else. So someone who denies Jesus has no 
hope at all. Absolutely zero. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So we hear and when we believe, we get eternal life. It doesn't say you will get it. It says, but has eternal life. Like right now, you have eternal life. He says you escape judgment. You pass from death to life. And this is really, really incredible news. The bad news is if you don't believe, there is judgment. There is condemnation. Let's jump into verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to, uh, also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all uh, who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Done good it is believing in Jesus, entrusting in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. Done evil is rejecting Jesus, is, is not believing. Jesus is the one who has life. And he's telling the crowds, or he's telling us through John 5, there will be a day when judgment comes. He's been given authority by the Father. God has been patient with humanity, wanting people to come to repentance, but there will be a day when it's too late. And that's either when you die, if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, or, or when Jesus comes back to gather his own. It will be too late to repent then. So the, this truth ought to change us. So has it changed you? Or do you live like Jesus is not absolutely necessary? Do you live like, like Jesus isn't necessary in order to be made right with the Creator? So I'm sure there uh, is a ton of application that we could take here, but I'm blinded by, by one application with, with two branches. Um, you might have other things on your heart and mind that, you're like, uh, that God's convicting you of. Run with those, but this is all I can think about. So the, the first branch is, uh, I ask you, do you see that you need Jesus yourself? Right? Have you trusted in him and him alone to save you from sin or self? Or do you realize that, you, that you've added scoops of the world's belief system. You've added to the gospel, and you're actually trusting in other things to save you. You're actually trusting in, in your good record. You're trusting in, in what you've done. Or, or do you see that you need Jesus to save you from sin? Because if not, you're, you're trusting in yourself. Maybe, maybe you think, like, yeah, these, these good things I've done, God will see that, and he'll forgive me, which means that you're banking on your own goodness rather than the goodness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. Here's advice that I uh, give to students when they're going to college. Um, you got to get in study groups with people that are smarter than you, right? I always found ways to be in groups with people that were really, really smart, so smart that they could explain things to me in language that I could understand and therefore pass my tests. Uh, there's no point 
in being the smartest guy in a study group. Unless you have all the material so nailed down that you don't even need to study and you're just being benevolent to all the other students. If you want to get a better grade, you get in a group with smarter people than you so that you can learn from them. So what you're doing is you're banking on their brain rather than your own. Are you banking on Jesus or are you banking on yourself? Are you banking on the record of his sinless life and his death in your place instead of your poor attempts at doing good because your good doesn't cut it? Who are you banking on to make you right with God? That's one branch. The second branch would be this. If you know that Jesus is absolutely necessary for yourself, if you know, do, well, if you know that, you should know that Jesus is necessary for your coworker that Jesus is necessary for your family member, the barista you get coffee from every week, your, your, uh, your peer at school, your dear friend, how are they going to find out about Jesus? Are you passively hoping that someone will tell this person about Jesus? Are you praying for those who do not know Christ yet? If you're not, if you're not doing anything, start there. Start praying for people that do not know Jesus. And then the next question is, will you tell them about Jesus? Will you share the good news? I heard a statistic uh, two weeks ago. I haven't had time to verify it. I'm, I'm often skeptical with statistics, but sometimes you hear one, and you're like, ah, oh, crud, I think that's probably true. So this is, this is a stat I heard. I heard that 5% of Christians in the West, in the Western world, will lead someone in their lifetime to know Jesus, to, to a saving relationship with Jesus. 5% of Christ's followers. Now, if you're like me, you start breaking that down, you're like, okay, there's a lot of people that claim to follow Jesus that don't, right? So let's, let's throw out all the, the people that say they're Christian, but, but we wouldn't say they're really following Jesus. They don't really trust in Jesus. Maybe that number creeps up to 20 or 25%, but I think the reality is most Christians, we're not sharing our faith. We're not sharing this, and that, that number tells me that we're either scared, we don't care, or that we don't really believe that Jesus is necessary. Right? Right, so this is where we see our belief leads to what we do, how we live. Um, I've shared multiple times about Matt and I, uh, back I think it was in April, going to the Gospel Coalition's National Conference. The conference, uh, the theme was uh, Conversations with Jesus. It was about evangelism. Um, and and uh, it was interesting. The conference was great, um, but uh, what, what happened in, in uh, our relationships with people uh, on the way to the conference, at the conference, outside of the conference was interesting. So we hop on a plane, go uh, Portland, Seattle, and I sit, Matt and I are separated. Um, I sit next to this, this woman um, three-fourths of the way through the ride, and it's a, it's a short jaunt, obviously, up to Seattle. Um, she, she tells me that just, I think it was just two days before, dear friend died, dear friend. And, and she's getting choked up. Um, she's telling me this, and, and we instantly go to some real places. And, and I, got to, I got to ask her about what she believed. We got to talk about God. We got to talk about Scripture, Jesus. I didn't get to fully share the gospel, but there was, there was some, some conversation there. Uh, I got to pray with her. And, uh, and I, I remember thinking, like, wow, that's, 
that was great. That's crazy that, man, on a way to evangelism conference, I'm getting to share a little bit of Jesus. Well, next flight, Matt and I are sitting next to together. Matt's sitting next to a guy named Barney, right? Um, Barney, I don't know why I said his name. I just love it, I guess. Um, so uh, the flight, I don't know how far the flight was to Indy, maybe three, four hours. Matt and him talk probably 75% of the flight, and they're talking about all kinds of things, what Barney believes, what he thinks about God, Scripture, Jesus. I'm just sitting there praying for opportunity. So then we land, and um, we determined that it would be cheaper for us. Rather than rent a car, we'll just take Lyft everywhere. I'd never done that before, but the numbers, I mean, it was clear. We were going to save a ton of money doing that. So we take Lyft all over the place. And, and we're, we're kind of like ready. Like we're excited to talk to people. Like we've already had two opportunities. We haven't heard anything at the conference. What's going to happen? Right? So um, we, this one driver in particular, Farouk, um, we got to talk with him. He actually asked us at one point. He found out we were Christians. And, and he asked us, he's like, hey, I don't want to offend you. And we're like, no way, man. You're not going to offend us. Like ask away. And we got to talk about the Bible. He, he, he's, a, he's a Muslim man. We got to talk about some of his beliefs. And he was asking us about the Bible and no idea what happened with Farouk, but, but we, uh, we, shared, we shared some things with him about Christ. And then our last day there, I think it was our last day, we bump into this homeless guy and talk to him for like 10, 15 minutes. Matt and I both got to share with him about the hope that we had. We, we were looking for opportunities and they were there. And, and I just wonder how often are opportunities there that, that maybe we're not looking for, maybe we're unaware of, or, or, or maybe we're aware, but, but we, we don't step into them. Um, we need to do that. And, and maybe you're thinking, okay, but Greg, I don't want to force a conversation. I don't want to try and force Jesus into a conversation, into an opportunity that's not really there. Um, that can be a valid reason. But I would ask you this, uh, is your default mode to force in conversations with people to talk about Jesus, or is your default mode to undershare about Jesus? My guess is for most of us, we would default to undersharing. For most of us, we're probably not going to force a conversation, so I don't think that excuse is real. I want to read, we'll, we'll close with this, Romans 10. I know I read this about a month ago. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul asks, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him uh, of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Jesus, I confess that, that you are absolutely necessary, Lord. And, and I also confess that there uh, so often in my own life seems to be a disconnect. That, that I, I take that you're absolutely necessary for me, but, but somehow I go through life without being ready to speak of the hope that I have in you, Christ. That, that, that somehow I, I go through life, we go through life, not praying for all these people that don't know Jesus. And, and I know we, we can't tell everyone, Lord, but you've given us pockets of people, little, little groups of people that we know that, God, would you, would you help us to share Christ with them? Lord, would, would each one of us know 
that you are indispensable. It's absolutely necessary. If we want to know God, the Father, then we need to know you, Christ. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room that might realize that they've added to, to, to the gospel, the, that smoothie. They've added their own ingredients or ingredients from, from our culture. Lord, would you help us to identify those things and would you strip those away from us so that we are trusting in you and in you alone to save us, Lord. Jesus, we love you. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.